Blog Talk Radio. Democrat president 
actually sending his kids to uh, to public school. It was Jimmy Carter who sent little Amy to a public school by the White House. So look, this is I don't know what's going to happen in Chicago over this. Something should. She should resign at the very least. Uh, because she's a contradiction. She's against school choice, but her kid gets to choose. But the reason that she gets to choose a school for her son is because she has the money. She has the money to pay for the Catholic school. The kids who live in that community in the south side of Chicago don't have the money. And that's the reason that uh, she gets to do it. And, of course, uh, That's just the way it is. But I don't expect a lot to happen. Chicago is a city with major problems, and they have a leadership that, frankly, doesn't seem to care about any of these problems. They're certainly not serving the people they're supposed to be serving. They're stuck in an ideology, and that's all you can say about it. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, uh, we'll listen to Rick Moran. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, Texas, on Friday, September the 1st, as we begin another month. And uh, we begin another month with an old friend, uh, Rick Moran of PJ Media. Uh, Rick and I go back a while, and it's a lot of fun to chat with him about current events and find out what's going on in the world. So, Rick, welcome. It's great to have you. Silvio, always good to see you. That's right. Literally, you can see yeah, me now, right? <laughs> you can't see me. No, I cannot see you. Neither can but, your audience, and that's a real good thing. Well, <laughs> I think your your better contribution to the world is your pen. Could be. Yeah. Could be, yeah. So, uh, so it's great to have you. Now, you are you've been with PJ Media for a long time, almost twenty like years. Two thousand five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you were. Uh, it was about that time back in the, in the fall of 2004 that I started blogging, and a lot of it had to do with you and our friend uh, Ed Morrissey, who even wrote a book and is, is pretty popular these days. Yeah. And it just seems like it's, uh, you know, those were the days of the Bush re-election, right. which, which almost seems like another time and place. It's almost like we're talking about something... I mean, it, it doesn't it seem a lot further back than 18 years, the yeah. Bush re-election? Yeah. It's a different world. I mean, it was. It was totally a different, different world. world. Yeah, it, it was a totally different world and, you know, perhaps even totally different uh, Republican Republican Party back then. But it just oh, seems yeah. like the issues that we were talking about back in the fall of 2004, a lot of it was terrorism, Yeah. the war in Iraq. Of course, Afghanistan, uh, you know, back in 2004, in the fall of 2004, who would have thought that Barack Obama would be elected president? He wasn't even in the Senate in 2004. Uh, he had just run, I think, in 2004, right? 
he became the senator in Illinois in 2004. And then, yeah, of course, right. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, right. just a, a, a lot of things have happened uh, since then to the country and to the party. Well, there's three big issues I want to touch base with you today. The first one is Afghanistan, uh, how we got out. It, it just seems like there's a lot of questions and no answers. The second one is the migrant crisis. I saw a video earlier today of some very angry people in your hometown of Chicago. And then this story that I, uh, that I came across here in the last couple of days about consumer credit, you know, car loans, credit card loans, and how they are uh, delinquencies, as they like to call them, are becoming a problem. But let's, let's begin with Afghanistan. Uh, I was, just for the record, I think people who know me know this, but just to, to set the table, I was one of those who wanted to keep a force in Afghanistan. I wanted to make sure we had some presence there, not, not a combat-type uh, presence, but at least uh, a presence there, an Air Force base, something that we could activate immediately if we had to. So I was disappointed when both President Trump and President Obama, I mean, President Biden, were talking about withdrawing altogether. But obviously, it took on an entirely different feeling or result, if you will, when President uh, uh, Biden did it. So it was a disaster. I'd like to get your thoughts, Rick. Well, it was worse than a disaster. It was a negligent homicide on the part of Biden. This We're just finding out the bits and pieces of, uh, of how that uh, withdrawal went down. And one thing that rushes to the front is the idea that the generals in charge in Afghanistan did not want to get out like that. They wanted a slower withdrawal. They wanted a withdrawal that, uh, you know, that would have left the Afghan government, uh, you know, protected to some degree. But this, this was just cut and run. It was exactly what, what they shouldn't have done. And the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, for the most part, disagreed with, with uh, Biden. But he wanted to get out. He had set a goal of getting out by September 11th of that year of uh, 2021 and that just when you when you put a political goal in front instead of a military goal you get disaster and that's right. what we got yes and of course and then to really make something bad worse we lose 14, 14 marines there at the end uh at the airport and, you know, our son was in Afghanistan for about a year, and uh, he was in one of those bases. I forgot which one. But we had more casualties, Rick, that day than we had had uh, for previous, almost two or three previous, years. Two years, yeah. Previous because years. I remember when our son was over there in 2019, 2018, 2019, that, you know, you live with, the, obviously, the thought that, he's in harm's way, which is a natural thought. And I remember there was a helicopter accident where six guys were killed. But day-to-day -day combat, I mean, that pretty much ended. Um, and we were basically sitting down and sort of watching things. At least what we were doing was stabilizing the region. Once we left, I mean... It was, yeah, it, 
it blew up. <laughs> yes. I mean, Afghanistan became exactly what it was before uh, the Afghanistan War of 2001. It was a. It became a theocratic dictatorship that oppressed women and everybody else who didn't toe the line on on uh, their idea of Islam. Right. Uh, you know. Of whatever they preach, yeah. Um, what what disappointed me more than anything else is you mentioned women. That was one of the biggest setbacks, I think, of pulling out. That we really pulled the rug from under these women who were at least getting an education and, you know, getting ahead. And yet the silence, the silence from the Democrats and the feminists was incredible. I mean, you would have expected that they would be at least supportive of the women left behind. There was a young woman who I met here in Afghanistan, uh, I mean, here in the Dallas area, who was telling me how rough it was. She was able to get out in the last year, but how rough it was for girls now, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, uh, the whole point of of getting out of Afghanistan was to leave some semblance of Western civilization behind so that it would protect women, uh, gays, uh, you know, the, the vulnerable, most vulnerable people in Afghan society. And what happened was the Democrats got uh, in the way of their diversity agenda because they wanted to be uh, diversity-minded toward Islam and they wanted to be diversity-minded toward uh, feminists. And the two clashed, and so they just kept their mouths shut. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. basically it. And may- maybe you, you agree with me, Rick, but this also had a very negative impact on the reputation of the United States. Um, I think a lot of people saw that, and they really couldn't believe it. You know, they said, you're walking out like that. We left... I don't know how many billions of dollars of equipment. Eight billion. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's like, that's just not the way you do it. That's no. my fear. Now, is, is that, were you in favor, uh, Rick, as I was, of keeping a force in Afghanistan, you know, sort of staying away from all the, the day-to-day uh, stuff going on that goes on in any country, but at least being there? Were you, were you in favor of that? Of course, yes. I think anybody who saw the Taliban moving uh, in the spring and early summer of 2021 knew that the end was near. I mean, the corrupt regime that was running Afghanistan didn't have a chance. I mean, they would have needed a surge of U.S. assistance that was not politically viable. I mean, that's let's just face it. Americans was, were sick of the war. They wanted to get out, and that's fine. But suppose we've left uh, 2,500 troops at Bagram Air Force Base, which was the hub of uh, of American uh, uh, operations in in Afghanistan. And suppose at that point um, we had been able to uh, develop a corridor between Kabul and Bagram that would have allowed eventually all of the – you know, the Afghan civilians who helped us, thousands and thousands of interpreters and, you know, cooks and house cleaners and, 
you know, these people were left to to swing, to be hung, actually. And so we could have gotten a lot of those people out, and they wanted to get them out, but uh, but Biden had his deadline, September 11th, and uh, you know they, they had to stick with that. Right. And as you mentioned, uh, the military, the you know the top military uh, people told them not to do it. You would think that if all the military comes to you and says, don't do it, Mr. President, or don't do it this way, that you would listen to them, that that you you would listen to them, especially someone, what was it, Secretary Gates, who once said that Joe Biden has gotten every foreign policy decision wrong yeah. over the years. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was horrible. I thought it was horrible for the reputation of the United States. And of course, to make matters worse, I mean, those 14 young Marines who were killed there at the last minute. And then, I guess, to top it off, President Biden looking at his watch during the, the, I mean, the whole thing was horrible. Well, Biden is a liberal, is an old-fashioned liberal, and an an anti-Vietnam War liberal. He's he's that old. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the argument that, the reputation of the United States would be damaged, doesn't register with him. He doesn't care. In fact, liberals of that time believe that the United States needed to be punished for going into Vietnam. And that the way to do that is to, you know, to, to, uh, to have the rest of the world shake their finger at us and tell us what, uh, what hoodlums we are. Right. Well, that's exactly right. Now, of course, we know that he was talking to Strong Thurman in 1964, and uh, that, <laughs> that <laughs> which, is, which is another angle of President Biden that is just absolutely incredible. I mean, well, that was our, our friend, uh, our conversation with our friend uh, Rick Moran, uh, Rick uh, of PJ Media. They're talking about uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the total disaster that that was. Nothing good came out of the way we did that. And as I, as I mentioned to Rick during the interview, I was in favor of keeping a force in Afghanistan, just 2,500, 3,000 men in that base, that uh, name I can never remember the name. But yes, uh, absolutely, that's the way to do it. But the way we did it was the worst possible way. Now, I don't know if there's a connection, or I don't know if this is a coincidence or a connection, but... Putin went into Ukraine about six months after. Again, maybe coincidence, but uh, would it have would it have happened if we had kept the force or or done it differently in Afghanistan? I guess we can never prove that. But Putin did go into Afghanistan or into Ukraine. What was it? Six months or so after. We're going to take a little break. And we're going to come back with our friend Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. We're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about New York City and the problems in New York City. Hang in there, and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, September the 6th. As we like to do once a week, we'll be chatting with our friend Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Let's say hello to Bill all the way from the Empire State or the city of New York, as they like to call it, Bill. Welcome. Great great to have you. 
Well, it's a pleasure to be back, Silvio. Uh, yes, it is the Empire State. I'm not in the Empire State. Uh, I am in the Empire State, but not the Empire City. We're actually in White Plains, which is about 25 miles north of New York City. But we can see all the refugees streaming out of mm. New York City and coming by uh, because New York City is an absolute mess. Uh, it's uh, really be- it's becoming a disgrace, and, and, uh, and the, the governor and the mayor are fighting, and the and the state legislature won't do a thing. Uh, New York is really is really going through very hard times, and what many people fear here is that the state will go bankrupt, and mm. if the state goes bankrupt. No one knows what will happen. Right. But, no, you're right, because they're not going to get a dime from the federal government. No, the government isn't, isn't showing any interest at all. Right. New York and California are the biggest out-migration states in the United States right now. More people are leaving those states than the others, right. and they are both two big Democratic states. No, you're right, and, and the case of New York, I saw a video of some people on the streets in New York City yelling, literally yelling, where is the border? Where is the border? I guess complaining uh, that the Biden administration is not enforcing the border. But the anger of people, and, you know, people always react to that anger and try to find some kind of a racial angle to it. I don't. I, you know, I think if you have a school, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, so please confirm it, but if you have a school now where the kids from the regular families who live there have to be vaccinated, but the, the kids from the migrant families do not have to be vaccinated. I don't know if that's true. I heard that. If it is true, I don't know what genius came up with that bill. Well, uh, the, the, there are many geniuses here in New York, and they've all been at work doing their genius thing. But the, re, the basic reality is New York is one of those, New York City I'm now referring to, is one of those places that was so proud to declare itself a sanctuary city never expecting that they'd have to actually be put to the test. They were not ready. Uh, and when the when the migrants first came from uh, Texas, they were very proud. We're, we're going to take them in because we are a sanctuary city and we're the good people, not like those people in Texas. And suddenly they realized they didn't have any space. And now they're running out. They have run out of space. It's, and it's, money, I would think they've run out of money too, Bill. Well, it's costing the city an enormous yeah. amount to house them, but also there are thousands of new kids who are going to be in the public schools who That's don't who, ha- who don't speak English, who are going to need translators, and uh, apparently they are not going to be subjected to the same uh, standards. And, it's, uh, and the school system, which already is strained, is going to be strained even more. Right. Uh, I don't know... I don't know what the future is for this city. Uh, people say it's going to come back. I don't see it coming back. There, there's, not, there's no route to it coming back. Mm-hmm. I was, was speaking a few days ago with a, an, an, a banker who, or a former retired banker who specialized in real estate, and he said that the, that the banks have known for years that New York City was in decline, and they couldn't really say it too loudly, but they know that there's no route back. In other words, there's nothing on the horizon that New York City can do. Uh, it's, it's a tourist attraction, but you're not going to be much of a tourist attraction if people are afraid to go out at night. And that's what's happening in New York City. It is, a, of course, a great uh, uh, sports center, but the sports are now so expensive to go to 
that it, it's it's an event just to go to a baseball or a right. football game. And of course, the, the restaurants, well, many of them are closing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see the same thing in, in cities like San Francisco, where, where institutions are closing because of, of the, the theft. You go into a store, a big store like CBS in parts of New York City today, all you see is goods behind, behind glass, right. and you have to call somebody to get it. Yeah, how encouraging is that? I mean, you walk into a place, and, and, and then you see scenes from San Francisco and people just out on the streets. I mean, it, it, it is so sad to see great cities, really. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, just torn apart. Uh, it is remarkable. Bill, Labor Day is usually, uh, I guess, a, a marker. Uh, political marker, but also an opportunity for both sides to talk about the economy. And it's, you know, the numbers for President Biden on the economy are absolutely horrible. Uh, I think it's the inflation. A lot of it is the inflation. This gentleman, Brett Stevens, I think that's how you pronounce it, Stevens. Yes. uh, Wrote a a column in the New York Times, uh, and he was basically saying, explaining why Biden is not popular. And they were talking about the economy, the Afghanistan, you know, everything going on the border. And, you know, one thing he didn't say, I wish he had said this, Bill, is that another thing that is hurting President Biden is the comparison to President Trump, at least the economy. I mean, people were better off. I mean, that's objectively true. They were better off before. And I think a lot of people remember that. So it's just a bad time. He's also, as you wrote in an article uh, today at Urgent Agenda, he's underperforming with minorities. And that is, they have to have minorities in huge numbers. So it's just not a good time to be Joe Biden, Bill. It really isn't. And uh, you wonder why he would even want to run again. I, I, I don't understand this because he's already been president. He's already been elected. He will be in the history books as a president of the United States. Certainly, he has some idea of his physical condition. I mean, when you see the president of the United States just in a daze most of the time, wandering around, uh, apparently the White House press secretary had to deny in a press conference that he's treated like a baby by the staff, but he objectively is. They, they, they keep him on a very light schedule. Uh, this man is not prepared to lead the country through a crisis should a crisis occur. Uh, we have a foreign policy that is now making many, many people uncomfortable because it seems to be a foreign policy run by Barack Obama, Obama's people. And uh, I read an article today in one of the foreign newspapers saying that that the United States is becoming weak and indecisive again and and with other countries questioning whether we can be relied upon. And that's a very, very bad situation to be in because that's the kind of situation that leads to wars. Right. Well, I think it's interesting, Bill, how, you know, my mother had an expression. It was in Spanish, of course, but her expression was that when nobody respects you, you know, get ready for anything. It was something like that she used to say. And that appears to be the case with Joe Biden, President Biden. And this a few days ago, the mayor of Tijuana, Mexico, put a piece of the Berlin Wall uh, at the border, basically saying, you know, that basically comparing the, the wall on the, on the U.S.-Mexico border to the Berlin Wall. Well, 
that if if we had a president who was alert, that president would have stood up by now and say, take that down. That is a disgrace. You don't make that comparison. Of course. And would have given the, the this lady mayor of Tijuana a lecture on. I mean, you know, the Berlin Wall, you remember that whole time. And, you know, one thing people forget is that East German soldiers would kill you if you tried to escape. That's exactly right. And there were, in fact, there's a museum called Victims of Communism, and they have photos of many of these people who were killed trying to leave. There's about 160 of them. You know, that to compare this to the Berlin Wall is such an outrage, but it, it gets compounded by the fact that we have a president who doesn't say anything about it. I mean, I think President Trump would have said something about it. <laughs> Very Maybe much would, so. I don't think they would have done it under Trump, frankly. That's the difference. Well, and, uh, but but that uh, matters to me. The idea that he's not respected, Bill, as you, as you were saying. Well, how can anyone in a foreign country respect him, uh, given not only his physical condition, but as you said, a failure to respond to something as blatantly absurd and insulting as that. But he has a left-wing constituency that has no problem at all with, with the open border, has no problem at all with America's getting weaker, uh, which really doesn't like America. And he has, without any question, we have a shadow government in Washington now made up of the Obama people. And they... Well, that was our friend Bill Katz, the editor of Virgin Agenda. Before him, our friend uh, Rick Moran of PJ Media. I gave you a little bit of, of the interviews. The full interviews are available on the archives of Blog Talk Radio from last week. Just go to the website uh, or my blog, and, and you can see the in the, the interviews. But I thought the point that uh, Bill was making there about respecting President Biden is a very valid point. You know, when nobody when nobody respects you, they're going to do things and perhaps even do provocative things, and that's uh, that is just a the reality, the way the way that uh, it, it is. Just a, a quick reminder, we'll probably, I say we'll probably, I'm almost 99% sure we'll talk to George Rodriguez on Sunday night. There's a lot of stuff going on regarding the, the impeachment, or the trial, really, of the Attorney General Paxton here in Texas. That has been consuming a lot. There's also uh, the legal issue regarding the barriers that the governor put on the border, on the river there, on the border, and that is also in the courts. The first judge said that Texas had to remove them, remove the barriers. The second judge, or the uh, the judge, uh, I guess it went to the appellate court. And the appellate court said, well, they don't have to re- remove them right now. Leave them in there until we hear uh, the full appeal. So I think that was a victory for the governor, in my opinion. But uh, we will see how all of that uh, goes. So we'll get into that with our friend George Rodriguez on on Sunday night when we look at uh, at the situation in Texas. Thank you. Thank you for spending a little bit of your Saturday with us. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and uh, we will talk to you later.